Well, hello everybody and welcome to a very special bonus episode of We Podcast and We Know Things. My name is Greg Hall and alongside of me as almost always, the best damn voice in the business, Sam Matura. You missed three podcasts and he never let you live it down. I'm sorry, my brother, but we are here with a very special guest joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, Danny Stevens, formerly of the audition. Danny, thank you so much for coming on the show and taking some time to talk with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, man. I'm, uh, I'm excited to uh, hear what you guys have lined up for me. Oh, uh, yeah. We're excited to hear what you have lined up for us, pal. Yeah, because, I mean, well, I don't disappoint. I mean, Greg was the one that, that basically turned me on to you guys all them years ago. So Greg's probably like your number two fan in the world. <laughs> Outside of your mother, I guess. Um, yeah, but no, I appreciate that. I've been listening to the audition poof, uh, going on 12, 13 years. Um, huge fan, always have. Right, ne- since, right since the beginning. Yeah, since literally since the beginning from from a Victory Records demo disc that you guys. I remember that disc. That was with. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Uh, you made a concert. Yes, on that, disc. that is the first audition uh, song. Uh, wow. Devotion and Desire by Bayside was on that, and Hawthorne Heights song. I, I, I remember that actually. It's really funny. And that was actually funny enough. That song was the demo version of of, of You Made Us Conscious. It was not the the album version. I, kn- I don't know why the hell they put it on there. I wouldn't have picked up yeah, the differences. Either, either did I. That's crazy. That is the first audition song I ever heard, and I was hooked on it. And I, I'm very weird with my memories. Like I can almost pick up certain times and dates of where I was when I first heard something. And it was February of 2005, and I was freezing my ass off driving to an ex-girlfriend's house when I put that demo on, and I heard that song. I heard You Made Us Con, and I was freaking out. I was like, this song is insane. She got in the car. I was like, you just have to listen. And we might have listened three or four times that night. I will not forget that night. So from there, it was cool. yeah, it was, it was all uphill from there, <laughs> I guess. Uh, we've seen you. We've seen you a couple times live. Uh, particularly one stands out that we'll, we're going to get into later on in the show. But if you want to go ahead and follow Danny on Instagram, it is at Danny Stevens, D A N N Y S T E V E N S, or on Twitter at Audition Danny. Danny also has a SoundCloud, so if you want to go listen to anything Danny has written uh, or performed on SoundCloud, you can do so at SoundCloud.com/slash Daniel James Songs. But the time has come. We're going to jump right into the questioning. We just want to know how you got started in music. It's a funny story, man. I, I, I in the fact that I don't know. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I honestly don't know, man. Like I, I grew up like I grew up listening. My, my dad was a, was a huge Rod Stewart fan. I just remember as a kid listening to Rod Stewart, and, and to this day, Rod Stewart is like my end all be all favorite artist writer that 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 lives. I, I mean, I love I love that dude. And I think that had something to do with it. But I remember when I was 11 years old, uh, for whatever reason, I wanted to start playing guitar. And I don't, I, my, my dad had this, this Rod Stewart uh, VHS tape, when those were a thing, of <laughs> uh, Rod Stewart's VH1 performance of, it, it was called Unplugged and Seated. And I just remember Ron Wood coming up from the Rolling Stones, who used to be in Rod Stewart's band, The Faces. That was the first band that they started back in the 60s. Ron, Rod, uh, Ron Wood left the Faces to join the Rolling Stones. Probably a good move. And, uh, yeah, I'd say. For that, this was filmed in the 90s, and he came out and did like a, uh, a cameo performance of a, of a few songs. And I remember when he came out, man, I was, I was watching Ron Wood, and I was like, dude, this is cool. Like, this is cool. And, and, and that, that was like my musical, that, that's, like, that's all I had experience-wise with music. I had never listened to music on my own. I never... I just didn't know about it. Like, I was just, I don't know whether I was sheltered or whatever it was, but I told my dad I wanted to buy a guitar and play, start playing guitar. 
And he said, well, that's, that's fine, son. You can do that, but you're going to have to buy it yourself. So, I, you know, did all <laughs> Typical the, dad thing did to all say. I did all the chores and, and, and saved up my, my $300, and I bought a little TV, uh, you know, 8-inch speaker amp and a, a, a shitty little Washburn Strat guitar, and I started mm. learning how to play guitar. And it kind of all just it's fell just... out from there, man. I, I just started playing and became obsessed with it. Uh, shortly after that, I was, I mean, I was 12 when I really started playing. When I was 14, I started writing songs. Um, and that's kind of just—it just, just kind of went. It's gone all downhill from there. If you will. <laughs> is it sad? Is it sad that four inches to my right is a Washburn acoustic guitar? <laughs> Probably nicer than my, my my little ripoff strat I had. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so it actually, were you in before the audition got started? Uh, were you in any other projects before that? I mean, were you you got a guitar at such a young age? I'm sure. Were you self taught, or did you take lessons first of all? I took about three lessons. Same. And jeez, oh, my 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 teacher wanted to teach me scales and theory, and I had no interest in that. I just wanted to play rock and roll and play songs. Mm. So I quit, and I just kind of self-taught. But it, that's a regret that I have, one of few in my life. That uh, I wish I would have stuck with that, just because I, I know I, I it was such a hard road teaching myself theory and teaching myself you know how how to play and 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 what was what and teaching myself from ear it would have been a hell of a lot easier if i wasn't a stubborn 12 year old child (laughs) and quit my lessons i would have had a much easier time with everything (laughs) back when i took guitar lessons my i was so young i was maybe 10 or 11 my dad was in a band um rod steel and i know he's a big rod stewart fan so that's where that kind of came from and plus the sexual undertones and uh and uh yeah that's right and um so he's i picked up a guitar and said i want to play so long story short when i was a kid there was a vhs tape uh, of my dad playing a show he was a guitar player keyboarder uh, keyboard player and singer and he was like playing a show at this club and my my i want to make my dad proud moment of a child was i said dad i'm gonna play at this club and he said son it burnt in a fire. It's gone. So, <laughs> so there Great goes that. Crushed at a young age. Oh, it's such a young age. So I said, okay, well, I'll just teach myself how to play. Uh, we had a, my parents own a business, um, a small business, a deli. Two doors down was a music shop growing up. So I was in heaven. I'd work at the deli, oh, yeah. go hang out at the music shop. I was a skateboarder back then. I was sponsored. So I was like living the life as a kid. I show up to uh, these music lessons at 13. My teacher's this long. He looks like he's the lead singer of Steel Panther. He's totally like... <laughs> <laughs> rock and roll dude um and he's like what do you want to play lead or rhythm and at such a young age i just wanted to be the front man so i said lead thinking it was the first guitar player not scales and such so he taught me all these scales right and, right and i'm like what about power chords that's all i want to learn is bar chords uh so it turned out that i quit after just a few lessons too but that's a really good story uh were you ever in any projects before the audition oh yeah man I, uh my first band started when i was 14 uh, it was a, a pop punk band. Like I, I grew up when I when I hit about thirteen, I started listening to uh, you know the pop punk revolution that started when you know Save the Day came out and the Get Up Kids. Or I guess it's more of I guess emo you could call that like the Get Up Kids and all and and, and further seems forever back in like that. Well, that was a little bit later, but um, you know the New Fox Glory, Nothing Gold Can Stay album and all the Blink One Eighty Two stuff and the Weezer stuff. Like I listened to that and I was like I like this like something gravitated me towards it i really liked it it was very melodic very cool very unlike anything that i'd ever listened to so i i got a couple of my friends together that had not never played an instrument and i said 
you're going to play guitar, you're going to play bass, and then we found a drummer, uh, and we just were, you know, little teenage kids sitting down in our buddy's basement trying to figure out a band, and we started a pop-punk band that was very MXPS-like, and we found Glory esque and uh, went through a bunch of name changes. The first name of the band was, uh, we, we tried out for the, the, the school talent show when we were sophomores in high school, I believe, and... We had just one song that we had to play. We auditioned, and we, we got the gig, and they are like, all right, well, we need a band name to put on the flyer for the, for the talent show. And we're like, all right, cool. So, you know, being growing up in the jackass generation with Blink-182 and all the, we wanted to be the funny guys, we named our band the One-Eyed Pirate and his three peg-leg friends because the <laughs> Why not? Pirate was a sexual act. I'm sure you can think of what that means. The school said, the school printed it on the flyer. We got in trouble for it. And we then changed our name to, uh, what was it after? It was between, we changed it to Between the Lines, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. I was in a, I was in a skate shop one day and I saw a, a local newspaper called Between the Lines that was a, an LGBTQ magazine. Wow. And we were like, well, we're probably going to change our name <laughs> Between the Lines to something else now. <laughs> Jen went with. Uh, the morning after, M-O-U-R-I-N-G, oh Jesus! Very yeah. emo. Yeah. And luckily, we broke up before we realized that that was a pretty much a form of contraceptive. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so we just had zero luck with any of our band names. Jeez. It was, it was, it was brutal. I can't so tell why. Up, I joined. That was the pop punk band that we that I that I started. Then I uh, I started another band called Based on a True Story. The acronym is Boats. Before the starting line album came out. Yeah, was gonna and say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when that album came out, I was like, you sons of bitches. <laughs> and, and, and not even not even that, but our album art, and, and I'm sure this has, I'm sure it's purely coincidental, but our album artwork for our album, for our like, little EP that we did, was almost identical to the album artwork on the Starting Lines album. That's funny. And I remember when we were recording the first audition album, that the Starting Line album came out, and I saw it, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And all the band, like my, uh, my bandmates were like, dude, that's like the same... Artwork, same name. Like, what the hell is that? I was like, I don't know. You guys couldn't even catch a break. Who cares? That's funny. Now, all you guys, yeah, go ahead. Were all you guys all self-taught? Um, yeah, we were. I mean, I know that Ryan took some drum lessons when he was a kid. I think, Uh, but for for the most part, we were all, you know, just we were all self-taught, and I think that's a lot of the reason that we kind of had the sound that we had because we didn't, we weren't ever taught a specific sound. I feel like your guitar teacher when you're young kind of really has an imprint on the rest of your playing career to whereas if, you know, the guy that I was getting lessons from was like huge metalhead. Well, obviously he's going to teach me how to play metal stuff that yeah. he likes. So luckily we, we, we didn't have, we weren't like, you know, schooled in it and we all had a very different musical tastes so joe our bass player was a, was a huge hip-hop head he loved hip-hop uh ryan was a huge like jimmy world Foo fighters rock fan our guitar player timmy was a very like motown guy seth was a rock and roll dude and i was kind of motown country uh r&b soul stuff so like i think that's a we we all came from very different backgrounds musically but we, but we all enjoyed the the genre that we played so that's kind of why you know our songs turned out the way they did i guess yeah 
Now, you, you mentioned that you were an escape chopper. Were you used to, used to be a skateboarder? I was an inline skater, my man. Oh, my God. You fruit booted? Oh. Right, dude. I, well, dude. I grew up playing hockey. Skateboarding, I tried, but I was too afraid of getting hurt. Cause I, I oh. Hey, well, hey, that's, Sam. That, that's the reason why oh, I, I stopped skating. I fell on my face, and I said, well, that's it. Yeah. Sam and I. That's the last kick flip I'll ever do. <laughs> but, uh, so, I mean, you know, I, I, I started inline skating because I knew that I could skate, and it was a lot easier, and it was just as much fun, and, and you know, it was challenging, but it was, it was cool, and, yeah. and I enjoyed that. And I did that for probably four or five years, and then. I think I got my my skates got stolen and then I just quit. <laughs> I don't I don't want to throw Sam on blast too hard. Sam and I have known each other for about 21, 22 years. Uh, I would say and oh, wow. yeah, we grew up around the corner from each other. So we've been friends for a long time and um, we both got into skateboarding on the literal exact same day. Uh, my parents bought me a Tony Hawk birdhouse complete one day. His parents bought him a Bucky Lassick complete one day. We texted or actually called each yeah, other. Maybe there, we was just no knocked, there was no texting. <laughs> yeah. and, and we found each other and we started doing ollie contests when we had no idea how to even ollie. And our friend Kev would judge us. And we, as we progressed... Um, I, my, my dad built me like a box with some rails and stuff like that. And my buddies, we all bought stuff from CCS magazine and, and everything. So we're doing, uh, some tricks on the box and Sam back truck, like clipped the box, ate so much shit. And was literally like, I'm done. Had this wonderful new Chad Muska board. I was super pissed. But I mean, Hey, I was a man of my word. Once I said I was done, I never was on a board. He never stepped on a skateboard again. Very depressing. Then then he started scootering. I mean, yeah, but probably saved a few broken bones i trust me i did i'm lucky my face didn't your parents a bunch of money that's true yeah unfortunately i kept skating for like four or five more years and that that you had to learn your lesson the hard way i just stopped skating recently that third yeah 15 years and 130 pounds heavier (laughs) i was (laughs) breaking a few boards more uh more than i wanted to at that point but uh, i was listening to an interview you did a few years back um, it was just a five-minute sit-down interview at South by So What, and uh, whomever you were speaking to, she had said to you, like, hey, what you know, kind of musical influences do you have? And I think that's such an easy question to ask when you're talking to somebody. Like, hey, what are your musical influences? Um, but, the an- but the answer you gave was shocking. Um, you said all you listen to is country music. That's it. That's true. Um, that is true. So she then countered with, I guess it's a Michigan, Minnesota thing. And I have to, you know, I have to ask, we interviewed a band, uh, beta camp from Michigan as well last month. And they, okay. and they had said similar things about what they listened to gospel country, stuff like that. Uh, mm. uh, let me ask what, how did you get in that direction? Like what I know, obviously you said like the Rod Stewart and then you grew up kind of influences, but at a certain point you, you, you started listening to newfound glory and, and all that. So what made you kind of change back, not change, but you know what I mean? Kind of gravitate back to the country side of things. So, uh, along with so when I when I talk about Rod Stewart and, and, and that it, it, that was when I was very young, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. When I was about ten, my parents started listening to this new country station in Detroit called ninety nine five WYCD Young Country, mm-hmm. and that was all at the time. It's funny looking back. That that's like the classic nineties country now. So it was all the Aaron Tippins and the George Straits and the Alan Jacksons and John Michael Montgomerys. And I, for whatever reason, man, I just, I fell in love with it. I thought it was just the coolest music. I thought that the guitar playing was so cool. The, the melodies were, were great. The, the, I didn't really understand the subject matter of a lot of the song because I didn't grow up in the country. I mean, I grew up in the sticks, but I didn't grow up in like the country. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I, but I just, I just loved it, man. And, and, you know, when, 
the audition started, I really had another resurgence. You know, when I started listening to the pop punk stuff that I like to do, I kind of, you know, shied away from the country because the early 2000s country was really, really bad. It was just, it, I just didn't, I didn't care for it. And even listening back, like, I was like, yeah, that was a good, good insight. Like, that, it's not very good. And when I was, when, God, it was probably about 2006, and I started listening to um, the second Rascal Flatts album called, Mel- I think it's either Melt or the one after that, I don't remember. And I remember hearing Gary LaVox, the singer of Rascal Flatts, sing, and I was like, this is how I want to sing. Like, wow. I love what he's doing. He's so technically sound. He, his, his, he, he sings like an R&B singer in a, with a country twang. I was like, I was just, I was obsessed. And a lot of the singing that I do, even to this day, is a testament to him because I would, in, and if you ever talked to any of my other band members, they probably hated me because every time I'd be driving the van, all I would listen to was country music and especially Rascal Flatts and I would just drive them nuts. what he was doing and try to figure out how he was doing these vocal runs and all this, all these, this crazy vibrato that he had and this crazy head voice and and that that's kind of how I developed my vocal styling, which was through through that. Now, was it hard for you to adjust singing from audition to where you're at now with country? Did you have a hard time doing that? No, I I, I always wrote even in the in the audition. Like I always wrote country songs. I don't know if you guys are familiar with a with a song of ours called "It's Gonna Be Hard When I'm Gone" off of our third album. Um, but that started as a country song, like a folk, uh, you know shuffle train beat song like up very upbeat and and uh kind of like you know just folky and i i sent it over to seth our, our guitar player and i was like hey man what do you think about this and like and he listened to it and he was like dude this is really really good i'm gonna build a track to this i'm gonna send it to you and i was like great and he sent it back to me he took the the, the little work tape that i had done and he, he built a track around it and i remember listening to it in in my car and I, when the chorus hit and it hit that halftime, I was just like, holy shit, like this is cool. Yeah. And I just, you know, that, that's one of my, that was always one of my favorite songs to play and, and sing live. And uh, any show that I do that isn't in Nashville, I'll, I, I always tend to play that song. Because I love, I love playing it. It's a great vocal song. It's, it's, you know, it's cool lyrically. And, uh, but that, but like, like I said, like that was just one of the country songs that I had written that I sent that I really liked and I thought that the other guys would like as well. And, uh, you know, made the album. And also, I think on that same album was a song called How's Gun Will Travel, which is a mm-hmm. very yeah, absolutely. country-esque, you know, uh, outlaw, folky song that was another one that I had written in the same vein. And uh, so there's, a, there's, there's, there's hints of, of my country writing in the audition. Not, not a ton of it because the other guys hated country music. <laughs> and like I said before, they, they hated me when I had to drive because all I was, I just, like late at night I would just be blaring you know, Rascal Flatts and, and Keith Urban and all these, all these country artists that they all hated. So they'd always try to, uh, to go to sleep when I was driving because <laughs> they didn't have to put up with my, my musical stylings. That's funny. Now, uh, so I don't mean to like kiss ass or anything like that, but the reason, the number one reason I got into the audition was your voice. And it was because it was so different than anything else at that time. It wasn't... Um, you know, all all due respect to any other artist, it wasn't whiny, nasally. It was. I felt like you could actually sing. You could really carry your weight, and that was something that has kind of carried on, obviously, through your records. Now, 
your styles have changed. You can tell tonally each record is almost different. Like when you go from Controversy Loves Company to Chapter Two, wow! Like there's an incredible difference yeah. there. Just I feel almost like you're singing more. You're you're um, giving it. I don't I don't know the right way to put it, but I feel like you can definitely tell that your heart. And your tone have, has changed record by record. What do you think, you know, when you guys went into the studio, what do you think the idea behind that was? Did you decide beforehand this is the tone we're going for? Or did it happen organically in the studio where you said, you know what, th- this is what we got right now and let's ride the wave? I think it was very indicative of the mu- of the music that we were all listening to at, at each time of uh, every album that we, that we were writing. Um, we, we definitely, it, it was definitely a conscious effort to evolve every album. And, and, and you know, most people will, will say, you know, to mature. But I, I think that's a cop-out. I don't think that, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's truthful because I think that any band that is together for any amount of time and is constantly writing and around each other, you're going to mature. I think that's just the natural evolution of any band. But we always sat down and we're like, we, we wanted to do something different than we had done previously. And especially on Champion, we, we wanted to do something that within our scene had never been heard before and never been done before. And we wanted to bring the, the R&B influence and kind of that hip hop influence and the, the just, and, but still, you know, couple that with the, the rock that we had done and not have it have every album be the same because you listen to a lot of bands from that scene and even to this day a lot of those a lot of the, the, the songs that they're, they're playing they're, they're all they're all still you, you can you know hear from a band's third album to their first album be like okay well I can tell that's the same band this, this, these songs could have been on any one of these three albums mm-hmm. whereas we wanted to write something and be like who is this every time you heard it like, who is this like what because you know it, it was all so very different and that that was was totally on purpose from from our aspect we wanted to give people something new and fresh and uh funny story i was actually hanging out with josh withenshaw of uh every avenue the guitar player last night we're we're some of these one of my best friends in the whole wide world and he lives down here in nashville as well we were oddly enough talking about champion and he was like dude i've never told you this but when we listened to champion in the the van on on our one of our first tours we got done with the album. We all looked at each other and we we're like, "Fuck, this is what we have to like live up to now." Because it was so cool. They're like, he's like, "You're yeah. so different and cool." Like, this is what everybody's going to be looking at to to live up to. And, and yeah, it was cool hearing him say that. No, I was going to say that had to be awesome. I, I, I personally that. think that album was a little bit ahead of its time, and I don't want to say that arrogantly. I just don't think that it translated well in, as well as it would have, you know, year, a few years later. Um, but you know, we, we didn't care. We, we just did what we did, man. We wanted to have fun and play music and, and do something different and give people a different perspective on what that scene and genre was. Right. That record was met pretty well critically though. I mean, even still, it, I can agree with you that for what, 2009 it was 2008, nine, somewhere around there. Yeah. It came out in 2008. Yeah. 2008. I mean, what, how many other things were we listening to in 2008 that sounded like that? And it's funny because when we kind of get into a little bit later, a story that Sam and I of a show that we saw you at, uh, the song that we're going to be 
talking about the most is off of champion. So we're kind of excited to talk about that a little bit. Um, actually, as okay. a matter of fact, let's just, yeah, let's yeah. just talk about it. We saw you with Eve. Six. Get into it, boy. We talk, we, we saw you with Eve six at the Starland ballroom in uh, Sayreville, New Jersey, which is about an hour and a half drive mm-hmm. from where we're at. No, we got a couple questions about that tour and that show. Uh, and then okay. a quick story. Number one, how in the hell did you end up touring with a band like Eve Six? Uh, it was it was just uh, it, we we submitted for it and we got it. I mean, I, that's as simple as that. Our, our, our agent at the time, Nick Campanella, who worked at the, the agency group, uh, submitted us for it, and uh, Eve Six listened, listened to our stuff and they really liked it. That's awesome. And they uh, decided to accept us for that tour. What was it like touring with them? Well, it was great, man. Those dudes are. Some of the, like one of the nicest bands that we had ever toured with. They were very humble and they were very just like inclusive, and they they always wanted to be around us, and they they, they wanted to make sure that we were taken care of and having a good time, and you know that everything was 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 good on our end, which 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 is is rare. I think a lot of times, a lot of times like in our experience of touring, where. When you look at, because I looked up to you, like I, I grew up listening to them. That, Same, that was yeah. another band that I that I loved before I was even, you know, when I was still a kid. Um, and to be able to go and tour with them, which you know, we we, we did that quite often, not quite often, but we did it, you know, a few times where you know, like, holy shit, we're touring with with this band. Oh my god! And then you get out there and it's just like, ah oh, man, like I wish, you know, like meeting meeting your favorite musician and then just kind of being let down by them, and then you kind of have a different view of them uh, after that. But those guys, man, in particular, were just some of the most gracious and, and nice human beings that we we had ever toured with. For a while, I had referred to Sam as that show that we saw you at as our bucket as my bucket list show. It was you and Eve Six, two bands that I literally grew up like idolizing and loving. And I really wanted to hear Amphetamines. I'm very glad that they played that. But on the way there, Sam and I are talking, and we say, "There's no possible way that we hear Make It Rain. Zero, zero chance. What song? Make It Rain." It, okay. Yeah, that that was like my like we usually every time where they're like, what song do you think that you're that you want to hear? Like that was my number one song to hear you guys play, and I think you played it like the third or fourth time, and I was like, oh, the, the concert could have ended, and I'm like, it was a great show. <laughs> yeah, we actually we played that song quite often. We we really like playing that song. It was just a cool vibe. Everybody seemed to really gravitate towards that song. They they enjoyed it a lot. So you know we we we, we always tried to you know write our set list out. Mm-hmm to that we didn't ever want to play super deep cuts or like obscure songs that we had that nobody really you know not i don't want to say cared about but nobody like really 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 loved and that was one of the songs that when we when we released the album people really gravitated towards and we're like oh well i guess you know this is going to be thrown in the set list and that, that that that's a lot of where our set list came from was just listening to our fans and and just you know, giving giving them what they wanted. Well, that, but- that song does translate very well to live. That song is a, it's a very good live song. My my uh, audition anthem, if you will, stand up and fight. Uh, that, oh, cool. oh wow, cool. That is like the song I listen to practically every day for the past seven years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. It gets me up in the morning, man. It really does. It, it, when you kind of get up, you go to work, you feel like you get beat down. You come home, you do it again the same day. That's a song that lifts you up and say like you're it's going to be all right. Right. Um, Sam, yeah, I, mean, I'm sorry. I was bummed that that, did, that didn't make the album. 
I mean, it did on the bonus tracks and the online stuff, but yep. I, I, I wish I really wish that would have been somewhere on the album, on the physical copies. It's on, yeah, it's on but iTunes. I, really I love that song. Yeah. I was just gonna say, like, I, it's just good to hear that, like, a band like Eve Six, you know, as big as they were, that they that they were like, you know, cool to you guys. Like, you know, you don't want to hear like a band you meet your, you know, your, your one of your favorites, and like they turn out to be assholes. So it was just good to hear that they, you know, they treated you guys right. Yeah, they were great, man. Matter of fact, during um, during Warm Me Up, you came out into the crowd. As a matter of fact, you came out right to us. <laughs> as crazy as you, it you is, jumped out, you jumped out. You jumped out. It was pretty sweet. And the two people you came to and sang with were me and Sam. That's like we have a video of nice. it. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, I still, it's somewhere it exists. Somewhere. I still have it on my cell phone. It's very, very ironic that this is happening now. Like we've talked about this interview for since you and I had set it up. Weirdly enough, at like four and five in the morning, uh, which I apologize for. <laughs> I'm an early bird. But uh, we've talked about it, and we said we have to – this is crazy that this is happening. We have to bring all this stuff up. I remember, Sam, when you and I were waiting for – you know, obviously, like I said, I love the Eve 6, but we went to see the audition. Like, let's not yeah. confuse things. When we showed up, uh, there was another couple. We don't know them. We don't know their names. We never met them before. We've never seen them since that I was wearing an audition shirt. Uh, some It was like pink and black and said, like, you're so shy or something or other. I can't remember. And uh, they said, oh, you're here for the audition. And we said, yeah. And they literally named everything about you um, and the whole band. They said that Ryan looks like Adam Brody, which I kind of agree with. I don't know if anybody's ever <laughs> yeah, told you. Yeah, he that. got that a lot. Okay. Um, and I definitely hit home seeing that. Uh, and then they were freaking out the whole night too. So just know that you know you made an impact on so many people's lives. And we just seriously and sincerely thank you for that. Yeah, yeah man, absolutely. I mean, you know, and it's cool to hear that because, you know, we just we were just kids doing – what we loved and it's kind of amazing to hear people such as yourself explain that to me because you know it, it didn't it was just what we did so like hearing that is, is very it's, it's awesome to, to to know that there's still people <laughs> that uh you know enjoy and are still affected by it now is there any any is there a chance will you ever do like a solo tour of you know maybe doing the audition song or the audition coming back or or anything Anything in the pump pipeline? I'm going to leave that up in the air for now. <laughs> nice. All right. Take uh, it. So, do you always perform barefoot? Uh, I I don't anymore. Right. I, I figure did. not. And the reason being is because we were in uh, Birmingham, Birmingham or Manchester, England. We were on tour with All Time Low. What did you step in on? 2007, I believe. And the the venue was brand new. I think we were the first show that had ever been there and the AC wasn't working in the venue. The stage was freshly painted, and it was really, really slick. And uh-huh. I didn't know that because I had boots on. And during uh, Don't Be So Hard, which is what we closed with, I was jumping backwards before the last chorus. I slipped, sprained my ankle, fell back, knocked myself out on stage. Wow. And, yeah. And there's a short video of it somewhere online that I'm sure you can find. But uh, I was out for a solid minute, I think. And uh, out, like the whole, like all the all-time ladies were watching side stage. They all ran out, tried to pick me up. Our tour manager ran out. I finally got up, put my arm around Alex Gaskarth from All Time Low, and, and he helped me finish the song. Got off stage, and, and mind you, I don't remember any of this because I was absolutely, you know, concussed. Yeah. And uh, got off stage, looked at my ankle. I was like, oh, this is fucked. <laughs> and I don't really remember much of the rest of the night. Woke up on the bus the next morning. My ankle was the size of a golf ball. Or not a golf ball, a softball. It's huge. And I was like, well, good thing we're in England where we have, where they have free health care. <laughs> so I immediately went to the hospital because I thought that I 
my ankle was broken. Luckily, it was a just a really severe sprain. And funny enough, uh, in America, people, you know, doctors are so afraid of malpractice that they put you in a boot, they put you on crutches, they say, don't walk on it for, you know, six weeks, it'll be better. When I went to the doctor in England, they wrapped it in an ace bandage and said, all right, you're good to go. And I was like, no crutches? <laughs> no, like, nothing? No. <laughs> That's good. They go, you need to walk on, you need to walk on this because with, the more you walk on it, the less the swelling, or the more the swelling will go down, the better it'll feel. And I'm like, really? Interesting. So... They lie to us over doctors, in the states. They're like, they're just, American doctors are so afraid of malpractice that they, and being sued, that they this is what they do. And I'm like, really? So sure enough, and I, I started walking on it. It was difficult, but by I don't know 6 p.m. that night, it was the swelling had completely almost dissipated, and and I was just rocking around. And then so from there, I started going barefoot because I couldn't wear my shoes on stage because it was all wrapped up. And I liked it because I could actually feel what I was stepping on. Yeah. And I could feel if the stage was slick. I could feel. And I was just so paranoid of falling again and knocking myself out. And, and mind you, that show was sold out of, for like 3,500 people. Oh. And I, it was just, it's, it wasn't something that I wanted to do again. See, I, I mean, if I was barefoot on the stage, I'd be worried about stepping on God only knows what's on stage or, you know, people are we spitting or whatever, you know. So I, I give you props there, for that. There were definitely times, I remember one time uh, at Warp Tour Detroit, 2000, I don't know, 9 or 10, I went and uh, sang with Every Avenue, and Dave, their singer, and I jumped down on the barricade to go in the crowd, and I actually sliced my toe open, like, all the way, like, the whole pad of my toe. Ugh, that's a bleeding, bleeding everywhere, and I didn't know that it happened at the time, because, you know, adrenaline, and I got off stage, and I'm walking, and I'm like, ooh, my, my foot feels weird, and I look down, and my whole foot is just covered in blood. Uh-huh. And so that was one of the more extreme times. But yeah, I mean, I would step on cables and screws and whatever was, you know, wood was loose on the stage. But I always had that that comfort in my mind that at least I'm not going to fall. <laughs> yeah. feel where the wet spots are, and I'm not going to slip and fall again. It was I was just paranoid about doing that again. So that's that's the reason that I started, you know, going barefoot and was continued on. But now that I don't run around anymore like that, I I kind of wear my boots on stage now. Do you miss not running around anymore? Not running around anymore, that's right. Uh, no, I'm saying, do you miss that? I do, man, I do. It, it, I mean, it was just fun, dude. It was just, it was a primal release of energy where I could get on stage and just, you know, that that hour or whatever I was on stage was just, I could, I was out of my head space. Anything that was going on in life was, didn't matter, you know, much like skating, I'm sure, when you were skating, like, there was just time that you weren't thinking about anything but what you fucking have yep, to Nail in the head. You're and na- I, I nailed it. That. And I still have that, you know, when I play in Nashville, but running around and doing that was just so much fun and, and, and just feeding off the energy of the crowd and being able to get people to participate and, and do all that. I do miss it. However, being 31 years old now, I don't know how well that would translate for my back or my neck. Yes. But given a chance, I would definitely, you know, give, give her another go. That's cool. Yeah, we're 29 and 28, so we're not that far behind you. We're not on the back nine yet, though. <laughs> not on the back nine. Uh, what you mentioned, we talked about Eve Six. You've mentioned All Time Low. You've mentioned Every Avenue. What are some of the bands you love touring with? Um, I, I love touring with Jack's Mannequin. Andrew McDan is awesome. one of the kind of souls that I've ever met. I still I still keep in contact with him. He actually, uh, last year on my birthday, they were in town with you know his new project um, and Panic of the Disco and Weezer. 
and I, you know, I was hanging out with Andrew, and he's like, dude, it's your birthday, we're going out, so we went to my favorite bar on Broadway, and Robert's Western World, and we drank a bunch of Jagerbomb, like the old days. That's awesome. Got shitty, and, and, and his wife was there, and, and we just had such a great time, and, and I love I loved touring with them, uh, I loved touring with Newfound Glory, those guys were so much fun, uh, really, really nice guys, um, who else? I mean, 30 Seconds to Mars, I loved touring with those guys, mm-hmm. you mean Six from the UK, they, they're one of my favorite bands we ever toured with. Like I love, I love those guys to this day, and, and it's amazing to see those guys, especially like how just enormous they have gotten all over the world. From when we took them out, we took them out on their very first tour ever, like full UK tour wow. back in like 2007 or eight. Um, they opened. They were the first of four or first of three, and we were headlining. And uh, it was funny because that tour. They were the opening slot, but they were drawing almost as many people as we were. And wow. it was really cool. And we we're like, dude, there's something here with this band. This is crazy, man. Like these, these kids over here just love this band. And it's so cool to see those dudes, you know, progress and see where they are today, just on top of the world with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. There was, so, I mean, there had to have been times in your touring life even now that you've played in front of just packed houses i'm sure going on tour with newfound glory all time low 30 seconds but and warp tour especially warp tour you're playing in front of thousands and thousands of kids rose deep what is that like that adrenaline rush of being on stage in front of just a packed house it is a hell of a lot easier than singing karaoke (laughs) (laughs) yeah i did that last weekend man i get I get nervous. I start shaking. I start sweating. Dude, you know I what the, the do you know the cure for that? Karaoke. There's a cure for that, and I promise you, there's a cure for that. Uh, we have a bar near us that's a good. It's a good karaoke bar. We went last month. I cured nervousness by just dancing. Like if you dance while you sing a little bit, it it just helps. And I'm not saying go crazy or do the chicken dance, but I was doing every time we go to karaoke bar. I have to do two songs because it's hilarious. I like to do Party in the USA from Miley Cyrus. And I like to do, and I like to get a buddy up there, and we do Backstreets Back, and I did both, and I did both of those songs, and it was just fun. I don't know these people. It's like a biker bar. I'm a 29 year old, 230 pound kid who uh, <laughs> used to skate with. You know, I have a freaking Flyers tattoo on one leg and a, a couple music tattoos on the other, and I'm like. I'm like a bird. I want to fly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who cares? You roll with it. You love it. But I mean, it. You say it's a lot easier. Do you, was there anything you did to calm your nerves or anything like that before a show? Or is there anything you did out there on the stage that maybe was a ritual for you guys that helped you get through that? Or what's that like? Uh, beer. Nice. Beer whiskey. All right. Well, fine. No, it, it, man, it, it just, the thing is, man, playing in front of 10,000 people is, it, it, it was kind of just where, where I live, man. Like, I loved it because I could, you know, control that crowd and everybody was engaged and people were, were listening in there for us and paying attention. Mm-hmm. To whereas playing, you know, singing karaoke, nobody gives a shit. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want to <laughs> suck. Oh, I don't want to, you know. But like up there, man, it was just like, it was just like, it, like I set off the, the the electricity of the room and the and and the the energy of the crowd. And it, that to me is is to me is so much easier playing in front of you know tens of thousands of people than it is to play in front of seven at a shitty karaoke bar down the street that no one gives a fuck at. So you, but I'm sure you've played in shows in front of, you know, you, whether it be opening act or what have you, 
you know, you've probably played shows in front of 10, 20, 30 people. What's the difference? I mean, like, how do you stay motivated to, to get that? You just give it your all and hope the audience catches on or what? Well, the thing is, man, is, is my, my view all the time. And there were shows where, you know, I just wasn't feeling it. If it were one of those small shows, and, you know, where I, I, I could feel myself just like losing energy and just kind of not caring. And, and, and but, 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 but I always had to remind myself that if, if I were in the crowd and I was going to see a band that I really wanted to see, and maybe some of these people had waited years to see us, I wanted to give them the best show that I could. Because I, I knew that if, if I were in their position and I could tell that the band or the singer wasn't totally engaged, it would really just kind of bum me out. and it, it would make me, you know, feel differently about that band. And I never wanted that to happen, which is another, you know, we, we actually, like, throughout our entire touring career, we never, like, I, I never, being sick or anything, vocal problems, I never canceled one show. Because I didn't want to disappoint people and I, I wanted the people that came to see us to have a good time and be able to walk away going, fuck yeah, that was awesome. I'm really glad that I came tonight. That, that, that's awesome to hear. Now, you said that you you're, that you live now in Nashville. What's it like to live in Nashville and to, to be a musician there? Because obviously you know that the music industry down there is huge. Uh, it's oversaturated. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, it's good. It's really good, man. It, it, the community down here is, is unlike anything that I've ever been a part of. It's Everybody, you know, as opposed to L.A. and New York, everybody here genuinely wants to help each other, and they, and they want to see their friends and their peers do well. And everybody champions everybody else, and everybody has everybody's back. And, and there's, it's, it's not clicky, and it's not, there's no cool crowds. Everybody is just friendly with each other, and, and everybody wants to write, and everybody just wants to be successful. And, every, you know, we all want to share our, our talents and our songs with, different writers and, and, and learn, you know, because when I sit down and a write now, I, I, no matter if the writer is good or not, or if the writer I'm writing with is good or not, I, I, I'm learning something from them. Yeah. And, it, and that's what it is. It's just a constant learning process uh, for everybody here. And everybody understands that. So we all, it's just a huge community of people that want to do well for each other and themselves. And, and the only way to do that is to, you know, be kind and not judgmental and not, you know, be an arrogant asshole and just write and have fun and, and champion other people's songs. That's good to hear. Pun pun 100% intended, but you're on to chapter two of your career. You were a front man, <laughs> and now you're more of a writer. Kind of talk to us about that, transi- uh, that transition. Um, what kind of, you know, why have you transitioned to that role, and what's it been like for you? So, you know, like I've, I've been saying, you know, I, I listen country music and, and and i started like when in the band i you know I, I just became obsessed with it and i i didn't realize that these these a lot of these artists that i was listening to didn't write their own song and so i started digging into that and, and learning about all these songwriters and i was like wow that's something that's really cool because you you can kind of be whoever you want any day of the week i can write a, a song for jason aldean one day and then turn around and write a you know just a, a rock and roll song or turn around and write an r&b song or a motown song and that might hit with somebody else, you know, like a Brett Eldridge or a, or a Dustin Lynch. Um, and when I, when I moved down here, three is this, it was actually three years ago this month, I enjoyed having a home and not having to, to, to leave and living out every you know weekend and be living out of my suitcase. And I, I, I really clung to that and, and enjoyed the, 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 creative process of writing more than I wanted to focus on 
you know, getting in a van again and struggling through that and, and, and trying to build a fan base because anything that I ever did with my old van, nobody gives a fuck about that down here. So, like, I truly had to start over. Like you said, chapter, you know, it's the second chapter. And I, I just, like, thinking about getting into a 15-passenger van with a trailer again and with hiring a band and doing all this, it, it like, it, it, it literally makes me sick, sick to my stomach. Like, I can't even fathom doing that as a 31-year-old man and trying to build that fan base again. So just being able to, to be home every day and go home to my dog and just, just sleep in my bed every night, it, it, it's just very comforting. But I still get to be creative and I still get to play as much as I want. I, you know, I, I'm still writing and, 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 and that, that's kind of when, when I started realizing that that's what I wanted to do, I just went full steam ahead with it. So when I'm on your SoundCloud, so again, there's songs on your SoundCloud that you're singing. There's songs in the SoundCloud that you're that you're kind of not singing, um, and the one that stuck out to me in a huge way. And when we listened to this interview back, and my wife and I listened to it, she, her favorite thing on this planet besides our cats is country music. So she is in okay, a cool. she is a huge huge fan of your new work, um, and obviously the old, but just gravitating crazy towards the new stuff and to get so we're in the car a couple weeks ago together and we're listening to your soundcloud preparing i like to do a lot of prep work when we have a guest on the show obviously and uh it was it was the first time i had listened to the soundcloud and we heard senses and first of all i did not know at that time that you were not singing so i thought you completely like changed your voice and i was like get the frick out of here this is not there's no way and you should have seen the smile on her face when that chorus hit for that song but i digress to a point where when I listen to that song now, and we were listening to it earlier before we started this, was I can literally hear you singing it, and I can hear you singing it with a with a full accompaniment and full everything, and you can almost hear yourself through that song. Now I know you had a piece in writing that song. What is it like to be able when you know it's over? You write the song. You didn't uh, play on the you know you didn't sing for the song or play on the record. I'm sorry for the song, but what is that feeling when somebody else has that song and you know you wrote that those lyrics for somebody else? What's that like? Um, well, for that song in particular, the, the guy that's singing on that is named Jordan Walker, and I actually wrote that with him and Josh Rippenshaw and our buddy Mitchell Tenpenny. Um, so it's it, it, it just dependent on the song, man. Like if the song is a is a true blue country song and it calls for a country singer. I, I have no problem, you know, letting that go and being like, okay, what, it's, it's all about what's best for the song. I, I couldn't sing that song the way Jordan sang it. I could, and it might be good, but it, it wouldn't have gotten the point across mm. to where it needed to be. It, it need, it, we wanted it to be a, a pitchable country song to a country artist. And when a country artist hears a song that may not necessarily sound like a country song, they're immediately turned off by it. They want to hear what... They want to hear themselves in the song. So a lot of the songs that I do that aren't me singing on them is because of that. It's, it's kind of a, 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 an ego check and, and being like, okay, who's the singer for this song? And like I've hired singers out to do songs for me um, just because I knew that it, it was the right move for that song. Now, some of the songs that you hear me singing on that stuff, it, that, that just happened to be you know, the sound that we wanted for that song. But I can't put on like this big, huge country twang because it's just not who I am. It's disingenuous. And, and I think, you know, people can hear disingenuous music yeah. immediately. And I don't ever want that to be the case. So Michigan's not in the South is what you're telling us. Correct. Uh, <laughs> try, try telling my wife that. We were in Atlantic City once and she thought Wisconsin was in the South. So 
And she's four point four point oh GPA, by the way. So shout out to you, sweetheart. Down, she's downstairs right now. She's downstairs in the living room. She's not feeling too hot. But anyway, um, a couple more questions. And we we I mean we are a nerdy podcast, so we do want to transition in quickly into like movies and music. I'm sorry, mus- uh, movies and TV and stuff. But um, yeah. is there any show? I'm talking early on, like way early on in your career. Audition, not whatever the case may be. One legged pirate and three kicking ass men, or whatever it was. Is there any show that that stands out to you as the show where you knew you wanted this to be your career? Yeah, so the, the, the show that I'll talk about is the first time that we ever headlined the Metro in Chicago in, mm. I believe it was, it was January or December of, it was like 2006, somewhere in like either late 2005 or early 2006. And when I joined the band, uh, my, my, my dad was very against it because I, I was playing elite level hockey to where I had a chance to potentially be drafted and my dad was, was just not having it you know you know and I get it because he put so much time and energy and money into my hockey that he was just not happy with my life choice and he just just really hated what I was doing and we played the Metro I invited my parents out to Chicago they came and saw the show it was sold out it was fantastic it was great and I remember walking up to my dad after the show and you know in the balcony and being like hey what'd you think and he looked at me and, and my dad works for chrysler uh as any good good uh blue-blooded uh michigander will do they work for the big three um but he he you know he's he works at a desk and he works on a computer and he's in a cubicle and you know that's what he does and i remember him coming up to me and i was like what do you think daddy he goes dan don't ever do what i do do this right and that was the moment that i was like okay this is it. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to do. This is the life I'm choosing for the rest of my life. This is what I'm going to do. And you know what's really cool about that is I'm sure he's you know, gotten you up at 5 a.m. for practice a countless number of times, and that's probably taken a toll on him as well. So it's like a proud father. That's a cool moment, man. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, it, 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 it was really special, man, and, and I'll never forget that. And and it, it, it was, and now it's funny because he's almost like annoyingly supportive at this point. Like, <laughs> every time I'm home, it's like, Come on, like, as soon as I walk in the door, all right, get out your guitar, like, show me even more time. Play, play some songs for us. Come on, come on, come on. And every, it's just all the time, which is great. You know, it's great that he's supportive of me, but it's like, Dad, like, come on. Give me, give me, <laughs> give me some space. What I do every day. Like, I want to be home and relax. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> what, what position did you play? I played center and I played left wing. Okay, I'm a goalie myself, so... Uh, I feel like. Well, this... you got to talk smack you. I probably would smack you. Oh, eight fighting words. That's good. That's great. I'm happy that we just had that interaction. <laughs> Thank you for that. No, I got a wicked glove. Real smack Shelly, bud. Real smack Shelly. You could probably go low stick. That's my. No, I'm vulnerable. Anybody who's in my men's league that I play it now, you just heard it. Low stick and five hole. There you go. But don't go glove. <laughs> That's why I heard I can't lift the puck. <laughs> um, so has this is a awkward, random question. You probably you may not know who this is. Did anybody ever tell you you're a dead ringer for Daniel Bryan? Uh, yeah, I have with the that. with I the beard with the with the beard you still rocking the beard i am yes i am uh, yeah. i i I, I, shave, I, I i kind of shave it off every year for christmas as a little christmas present for my mother because she absolutely hates how sweet beard. so i give that to her once a year that's awesome and, uh, and, and another uh, quick, quick random any chance you are you heard of or listened to wheeler walker jr of course I'm a national man, of course. Yeah, and, and that's because because I know he's out there, and like he's like the steel panther of country music. So I was just kind of hoping that you listen to him. Yep, I sure do. 
Yeah, I I just happened to hear him on like he was on like a couple podcasts. Joey D is Burt Kreischer, and his his lyrics, and he's a you know, great musician, but his lyrics are absolutely hilarious. They're hilarious, and, and the thing is, man, those songs are really really good. Yeah, no, like, like, the that, content's funny, but the songs are really good. And and that's what pretty sad. Who did Jason Isbell and and uh, um, Chris Stapleton? So like it's a it's like a it's a real production. Like it, it is real deal shit, and it's just cool that it's just so out of left field and so weird and uh, you know vulgar and 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 just funny. I love it. Yeah, same. The, it's I actually think the same thing. Sam actually introduced me to Steel Panther like ten years ago, and I think about them too. They have really good quality in their music. It's fantastic. Yeah, they're, they're funny as hell, but. Um, so that's, the, when they were, that's back when they were called metal school. Oh my god! Yeah. So when when uh, you I rem, I know that you said you were on Warp Tour in '09. Were you? Was there any other years you were on Warp uh, Tour? We were on. No, we. Well, I, I was just visiting Warp Tour when I did okay. That, I know uh, you guys did '08, right? But we did '06 uh, and we did '08. Okay. Um. What? So the Warp Tour is over. I mean, there. You know, it, it was oh, announced sure. last month that next the 2018 is going to be its last year. Uh, at least in the current state that it's in. So we were wondering about your, you know, some of your memories that you had from the Warp Tour. I mean, it was fun, man. We, we it, it, it was, it was, it was, it was difficult, but it was fun. Um, I, I didn't particularly care for that tour, which is why we only did it twice. Uh, I, 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 I was, I always felt that the bands that really needed that tour didn't really get the respect that they deserve for being on the tour from, you know, the production side and, mm. and just the, the people that work the tour, it, it, it always felt like an elitist group. And if you weren't in that cool crowd, then you just didn't have a chance, you know, and, and, and if you weren't in that crowd, you got stuck on a shitty stage with shitty uh, slot times and you had to like fight for catering and you had to fight to just get water every day. And, and it was, it, they, they made it very difficult on bands that they thought were less than. Like it was just a very holier than thou type of tour, and we didn't really we that that wasn't like our thing, man. We just wanted to be out and have fun, and 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 it it, it just it was always so much harder than than it should have been. Yeah, it sounds like a nightmare. It, it, I mean, it kind of was, man. We just did on our last episode. Every episode, we do a top three countdown of whatever. It could, could be whatever. This past uh, week, we do a Saturday mornings at seven a.m. is when we record, or seven or eight a.m. We record like a bunch of a couple of assholes, and uh, and so we just did our top three Warp Tour memories. And uh, I mean, I think being on the other side of that, we don't see that, you know. Right. So for us, it's just, oh my gosh, we have all of our favorite bands in one place. We're going to go and we're going to make it work because they have that big inflatable thing in the middle that shows you all the time slots and what stages. And we just wanted to make it work. And I found we've discovered dozens and dozens and dozens of bands throughout the years um, right. just going to there. And I think that that's obviously huge for us, but we never heard that side. You should have seen our faces yeah. as you were just describing that. Like that's that's some real stuff. So we appreciate you kind of opening up about that. Yeah, man, and I, I uh, actually wrote a Facebook post on my on my personal page uh, when I found out the news about Warp Tour, and, and and all I said was, Warp Tour, you exploited the bands that needed you most, and, and you hoard out the bands that didn't. Good riddance. Wow, and that's my stance on it. Yeah, that's I mean, that's how I feel about it. No, oh, hey, you're you're honest, right? You know, that's mm-hmm. listen, that's serious, man. That's awesome. Um, we're going to transition into kind of some the nerdier part of the podcast now, the, at least for what we do. Uh, is there anything else you kind of wanted to add from a musical standpoint that we haven't covered yet? I mean, I think we've, I think we've covered pretty much 
we covered a lot, so I think I'm good. So uh, now I need I just have a couple of quick questions for you, and then we'll dive into like films and TV and stuff like that. Uh, Wolverines or Spartans? Uh, no allegiance. Don't care. Wow. Just Red not- Wings. Okay, that's it. Just Red Wings. Okay. All right. Red Wings and Lions. That's about it. <laughs> no, no Pistons, no nothing. No Tigers? No. Cool. And then, obviously, we've talked a ton about hockey. Uh, Red Wings, you had mentioned that you have one tattoo, and it happens to be a Red Wings tattoo? Yeah. What's the story there? Uh, the story is we were on tour with Every Avenue, and the dangerous summer in Austin, Texas, I got drunk off a bunch of Shiner Box in Austin <laughs> at Emo's. <laughs> and there was a tattoo store next door and uh, uh, to the venue, and Matt Black, a bass player for Every Avenue, and I decided to go get Detroit Red Wings tattoos, and he got the uh, the um, the D that is for the Detroit Cougars, mm-hmm. which was the original team in the 1920s that turned into the Detroit Falcons, which then turned into the Detroit Red Wings. But it's the first winter classic that the Red Wings played. Yep. They had that D on their sweaters. Yep. So I have that on the top of my right foot and he's got it on the back of his left ear. Yeah, I I remember those sweaters. They were fantastic. Nice it was the white crest with uh, I'm sorry, the white chest with two red stripes, one across the shoulders, one across the bottom. Um yep. yeah, beautiful. That's a it's a nice script on that D. I like that a lot. That's cool. I have Yeah, it's beautiful. But it sucks everybody thinks it's a tiger tattoo or, or it's a D for Danny and I'm like, no, man, it's not that. <laughs> I, didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even make the connection about Danny. Holy smokes. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm not that, that arrogant. Come on now. <laughs> Give me a little bit of credit. Jesus. So what about, our, you know, Sam and I, we live in weird worlds because we're huge sports guys. We're huge, you know, movie and pop culture guys. Uh, I'm sorry, music and pop culture guys. But then we love the nerdy stuff too. Like we'll, you know, Sam loves comics. I love video games, stuff like that. So for you, films, TV shows, are you, do you have anything kind of nerdy about you that you want to talk about? Um... I bought a tech deck the other day. Oh, there! I mean, <laughs> oh, come on now. I still own tech awesome. decks, dude. Come on. I remember I used to have. I these... was in uh, I was in Walmart getting something from my house, and uh, something passed over me where I was like just remembering when I was a kid, like loving to go in, love loving going to you know whatever store I was in to the toy aisle and looking for the newest tech deck, and something like came over me, like I had this like nostalgic remembrance of of those moments. So I went, I went into the toy section and I sought out a fucking tech deck. And lo and behold, they had like four of them. I had to really search for it. Well, and, uh, it was like three. I was like three bucks and I'm like, yep, I'm definitely going to pick this up. What, what board and company? I've, I've been practicing. So What board company? <laughs> uh, it's an element. Nice. Now, I see, it's, it's funny because I actually brought up tech deck. And I think like a couple. We had our, pot, our 90s fads episode. Our fads, and I, I remember I bought a tech deck, and it came with this VHS of basically how to, you know, to do tricks on tech decks, like kick, flip, 360, Dude, I, have, flip. I have that. Wow. That's freaking that awesome. Parents, I know exactly what you're talking about. I used to have it. I can't find it. Damn it. That's awesome, though. <laughs> that was a... I remember watching that VHS with you a million times, man. Yeah. That's the thing. All my skate videos I still have are all VHS tapes. Every one of them. Osiris the Storm, Flip Sorry, Alien Workshop, Photosynthesis. These are all things I still watch to this day on <laughs> VHS. And they still work. I, I brought, when I moved out of my parents' house, I brought the VCR with me, which everybody calls it a VHS player nowadays. No, it's a VCR. And I still watch those <laughs> in my guest room where my Super Nintendo and my GameCube are. Because I love, I think that's my nostalgia room. Yeah. That's how all I right. think about that. That's my childhood. Uh, what about, so like movies and TV and stuff. So what's your favorite movie? Uh, favorite movie of all time is A Bronx Tale. 
Nice. Uh, that's a class. You, you can't go wrong with that one. I, no, it's it's it's, it's I, I I just love that film. It, it, it brings me back to when I was a kid. I, I also love uh, Dead Poets Society. That's another one of my favorites. Oh, Robin Williams. Yeah, two classics. Uh, we, uh, yeah, and then I don't know if you guys have ever, have ever seen the movie Once with uh, Glenn Hansard and Marquette Iglova, who are the Swell Season uh, as a band. It's a, it's a kind of a musical. It's kind of like a disjointed musical, but that's those are probably my top three films. No, but I'll check it out because there was a band. There's a movie called Brigsby Bear that the band Beta Camp brought to my attention, and I didn't never heard of that. And I went to listen to it. My favorite of all time's got to be that thing you do, uh, followed by Empire, oh yeah, followed by Empire Great. Records. They're probably my fo- top two favorite movies of all time. Yeah, there you go. Do you have any kind of TV shows you have to binge watch or watch religiously? Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a TV guy, and I, li- I like TV. Uh, I just actually finished. Curb Your Enthusiasm. I just started Fantastic. it yeah, uh, about a month ago, and I, I just I'm caught up now. And that is some of the most brilliant writing I've ever seen in my life. Like I love, I, I think that show is just hilarious, and it's so smart and it's so funny. And it's uh, back for a new that, season. You know, and, and you know, I, I've watched all the Lost and the and the Breaking Bad and, and Dexter and all that stuff. But yeah. Curb Your Enthusiasm in particular was was something that I watched. And, like I was actually engaged, and I was like, wow, this is just brilliant. To, to sit down and like just kind of digest it and pick it apart and just laugh. Did you see Larry David recently on Saturday Night Live as the host? I did not see that. He was just the host like two, three weeks ago. After all the stuff had come out about you know, you know Weinstein and all that, um, he did a yeah. he did a monologue for Saturday Night Live. He hosted Saturday Night Live. I would recommend you uh, YouTubing that monologue. It's caught a lot of flack. Uh, recently, but it's really? it's absolutely hilarious and one hundred percent dead on accurate. It's fantastic, and it awesome. shows you that this this is exactly the dude we needed to write that show because that's a great show. Um, yeah, we, it is. I would say if you, uh, I don't know, I, I say this loosely. If you ever have the time, like Jesus Christ, you're a busy guy. But uh, <laughs> um, I would say Red Oaks is probably my new favorite TV show I've gotten into recently. It's a show on Amazon Prime streaming. It's fan- okay. I, I haven't heard of that. It's fantastic. If you have Amazon Prime. It's only 30-minute episodes, so it's easily digestible. There's only 26 of them, so you can get through it quick. It's a comedy about a kid who becomes an assistant tennis pro at a like Cherry Hill, New Jersey uh, country club. It, and it's just kind of the, the way it builds from there. It's a fantastic show. I I'd mentioned it last week. Heartwarming, coming of age, a bunch of different story arcs that all satisfy and pay off at the end. If you have a couple cool. hours, you can knock that out in a day or two. It's really, really good. Cool. I will. I will look into that. I was going to say, if you have Netflix, I'm, if you do, I'm sure you've seen Stranger Things or Peaky Blinders. They'd be the two shows I'd recommend. I think them both of them shows are fantastic. I, I have seen, seen those, and uh, the new season of Peaky Blinders comes out next month, actually, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, we mentioned that on last yep. week's episode. Sam's a huge Peaky Blinders I, I fan. can't wait. And it's and it's got one more season after that, then I think it's done, so at least we get two more seasons. I'm glad. I'm glad. I thought it was going to be done after this last season, and I'm, I'm, I was excited to see that it's not yeah and they got they said uh, tom hardy's coming back too so it's pretty cool oh nice now are you a gamer at all i'm not man i i i i had i, I had uh consoles growing up mm-hmm. um but they were strictly for when it was raining outside or i was homesick from school like, i just didn't i just never got into it man I, I i do admit that i love uh the nhl game of course but other than that i I don't. I don't own a console. I just never. It was something I never got into, really. 
Yeah, we have a really good uh, retro video game store about 15 minutes from where we sit now, and I just picked up the other day. I just picked up NHL '96 on uh, oh, Super, nice. on Super Nintendo for five bucks, and it was a fantastic purchase. Went home. <laughs> immediate- was, it, was it was it NHL '94 where you could on Sega? I think where you could- the wraparound. Score goal every time by doing just a wraparound. Yeah, that. So it was that? the first one was NHL PA ninety three, and then it was NHL ninety four, and that was where the, that was where the wraparound came yeah. into effect. And it still went all the way through those Genesis and Super Nintendo versions. You could do the wraparound literally constantly, and I would always yep. be. I, and I hate the Rangers, but I would always be the Rangers because Brian Leach, for some reason, was the master of that move <laughs> in those games. And I leaned on Mike Richter. I didn't heavy. know that. Yeah, I, I leaned on Richter in the net, and then went around with Leach and Adam Graves. Um, I grew up. Oh yeah, man. I grew up a Flyers, and you're gonna hate me, but an Avalanche fan. Um, <laughs> so, so my my one of my best childhood memories is Uwe Krupp scoring that goal in triple overtime against the Panthers in '96 to win their cup, their first ever cup. I do remember that. Yeah, uh, and then the, all the the battles with the wings growing up. Just I was as a goalie, I idolized Patrick Waugh. So you, I gravitated. Yeah. I gravitated. The Flyers had Hextall and Perrant, and then nothing. So <laughs> I I needed to root for a team with a goaltender because that was obviously huge for me. So to be able to kind of. Uh, say why not the best in the world? At least in my opinion, at that time, um, Brodor. Oh, absolutely. You know, Brodor could be made. The case could be made. But yeah, him and Brodor were definitely the two. Because I was a huge Felix Potvin fan when I was growing up too. I don't know why I love. I just because I grew up, you know, so close to Canada. I grew up in Detroit, so right. I was able to watch CBC and Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday with my dad. That's cool. So I grew up watching the Wings and the Leafs, and just loving like Dougie Gilmore and Wendell Clark and 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 Felix Potvin and all those guys. Yeah, and uh, he was my he was my like second favorite outside of you know obviously at the time uh mike vernon and chris osgood and tommy barrasso and all those those weird goalies that we had yeah but you had the dominator at one point so yeah we did we did uh i would i'm so like me i'm super weird with that i two of my favorite goalies growing up were guillet bear and dan cloutier i don't know why oh yeah but i mean i know i know both of them yeah cloutier wore a player's mask he wore a forward mask out uh in that, so I kind of like gra- like Osgood. He wore the same type of mask that Osgood did. So I kind of gravitated towards goalies who did that because growing up, that's all I could afford. So I had yeah, to, right. I had to wear one of those masks growing up. So I was kind of gravitated towards those goalies. Um, Sam, is there anything? Kelly, else? Kelly Rudy and all. Those oh guys. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Dude, see, see, that's the problem. We've been here for an hour and five minutes, and we could probably go on for another hour and five minutes just talking about hockey. Um, but obviously, I, I, we want to respect your time. Sam, is there anything else you kind of want no, to add? I just wanted to say, Dan, th- thanks for taking the time out of your day to just come and you know. Sit and, sit and talk to you know two nerds like us that we really appreciate. We're big fansy and we'll you know continue to support. Absolutely, man! Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate the uh, the time, and I'm glad that we actually were able to lock down a time and get it done. Absolutely, thank you. Appreciate Dan. Hang on the line for a second, but everybody, that was the special bonus episode of We Podcast and We Know Things, uh, featuring Danny Stevens, formerly of the audition. Sam and I will be back this weekend with episode 67. We're very excited to bring it to you. You can uh, we cannot wait. So thank you everybody for coming out, and we'll see you next time. Come on, chapter three. <laughs>